all the retailers that we speak to around the world all have this issue. We don't know how to communicate with Gen Z. When customers come in and want to buy a thousand dollar shirt, those people traditionally don't know enough about that shirt and we don't know how to teach them about it. You had the, the, the work you did in the music, music industry, you really honed some of those entrepreneurial behaviors and skills. You, you then had another startup. But Frontlines, where you, you, I guess some people say your third business is your best. My kind of purpose with this business is really clear to me and it's, a, it's kind of like a natural state for me. When I was at that chasm of adolescence into adulthood, that was a pretty difficult time for me. I wanted to be a young man, right? And I had no one to teach me how to be a young man, hence made a lot of mistakes. It's our responsibility as adults to try and give back to that generation. And what we're doing at Frontline in terms of upskilling and certification and giving people a bit of a bit of a leg up in their career journey. That's the purpose for me. For people like you and I, a couple of certifications don't really mean that much, but for someone who's got nothing on their resume and suddenly have got all these certifications, their manager's gonna look at them and go, that's a person who's probably got the right the right way of thinking. We just wanna be the most ubiquitous tool in learning environments that we're in. Mark. We're here. How are you, mate? Finally, mate. I'm feeling lucky to be here, Brad. Lucky? Yeah. Oh, I'm privileged. I yeah. think it's the opposite. I'm lucky. No, come on, mate. We're both lucky to, to, to be hanging around with each other and, and doing good things in our lives. We are, actually. We, are. We, were, um, we were talking about it before, that sort of responsibility when, you, um, when you've had some good things happen to you and perhaps the privileges yeah, show up totally. in your life. You know, maybe it's a, it is the right thing to give it back, right? Yeah, exactly. Like what happened to you yesterday at your meeting and what I pulled from Facebook the other day from one of our advisors about um, it's your responsibility to give back. To, if you've had doors open for you, it's your responsibility to open doors for others. And and when I showed you that, exactly the same thing that happened to you last night. Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we're good. We'll, we'll dig out into that a little yeah. bit today, mate. But uh, yeah, look, I, I am lucky. I, I, I think we're going to have a really good discussion. You're, you're a guy that brings good energy to the table. You're a man that's very passionate about um, not only what you're building, but the underlying, um, I think, the social context to the the problem that you're solving, right? As much as the commercial problem you're solving. Yeah. Um, so I think we can we can go all around it, mate. But um, maybe instead of me stealing your thunder, um, we're going to talk about frontline. Yep. But before we get there, maybe you can tell us a bit about Mark and who Mark is. Yeah. So I'm I'm an insanely curious person. I I um, started out my life in country Victoria, you know, in a really small country town there. And um, you know, two TV channels, and we just basically playing cricket and and footy on the streets all day. Yeah. Um. So not much around, but but um, we had a really rich life growing up. Um. And you know, started my ultra entrepreneurial journey there by selling fruit boxes to my to my neighbours for twenty cents, big boxes like this. <laughs> pull um, off the back their fruit you probably pull it off yeah. their, their tree. <laughs> and sell that it back would have to been them. The, that would have been the great uh the great source of goods. Yeah. But I pulled them off my trees actually. Good, like good. sort of because I, I I was a bit frustrated that we had so much uh fruit about to die because we had we had an overload of fruit trees. So I'd pull them off and go, well I think I'd do some of this and and service the community. So I'd sell big boxes for 20 cents. Um had a, had a great upbringing there. Came into to Melbourne when I was when I was young and went to boarding school, which was which was fun. And um, uh, then uh, went went and made a weird decision and and, and went uh, went to Monash and studied international trade. 
Um, and the story behind that is, uh, and you and I have talked about this about, you know, at that age of 17, when you're supposed to make this big decision, I mean, you've gone to medicine in, in Newcastle and you make that big decision, but you kind of don't know why, don't know how you just sort of yeah. say, all right, do this. Yeah. And mine was, I got into international trade and I just love those words because my uncle at the time in Singapore was a trader and he was trading toys and I love toys. I still do love toys. Yes. So, so I thought, oh God, I could be a toy guy. I love this story. <laughs> I'm going to be the toy guy finally. <laughs> um, wasn't quite the case though. So I ended up doing that and, um, uh, at the end of that, I, I, you know, I was like, what the hell? I don't want to be a banker. This is not me. And then took a really sharp left turn into the music industry where I hung around and did lots of stuff for, for quite a long time. Um, and part of that was, was exploring opportunities in technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, so from, from the nineties doing, trying to do music related tech online, uh, and then exploring all sorts of stuff from artificial intelligence, music to, um, entertainment products, um, social media products, uh, and then sort of, um, you know, led me to working with a lot of brands around the world and, um, and part, and that, and probably that, that experience has been, uh, pretty crucial to where I am now and in, in what I do, mm -hmm. but driven, driven by, um, uh, intense curiosity in, in everything, probably too much. Too much. Yeah. Well, let's start with curiosity about the toys. It, it's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's, it's interesting because uh, there's a, th there's a bit of a theme that I think we're going to draw out on, which starts there, right? It's, yeah. it's you know, there's, there's this, um, um, lack of awareness, lack of consciousness, um, that, that we, we naturally will always have blind spots. And, and even today, you know, in, in these, as experiences, every leader I've ever engaged with, I'll still have some degree of a blind spot or a bias, right? But when we're young, you know, when we're young, we, it's, it's, it's impossible not to have them. Like it's just too much to digest in many respects. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah. So when you were, went out and, and you, you did the international trade, you went into music, was it, was it entrepreneurial work? Was it contracting work? Was it consulting work? Was it just jobs? Like what, what's, were you doing a bit of everything? Like what did you find yourself falling into? Yeah. So after, after uni doing stepping in the music industry, it was, um, in the music industry, you just, you, it's it's literally apart from the majors it's literally populated by lots and lots of cottage industries mm. so people doing all sorts of stuff you know so we we had a we had a, a company that that had lots of different activities from touring artist management content technology production songwriting label publishing the whole thing so all sorts of different things which was fun for me being in you know ADD brain getting getting <laughs> access to quite a few different things um but that's that's that that's perfect for me like digging holes and scratching around in chaos is where where I find where myself thrive. yeah totally if it's stable I'm like oh no I don't want to do this <laughs> push me right to the edge where I'm about to lose everything and, and I'll be the best I can how good! Yeah, well, you showed me <laughs> something. Not... You showed me something earlier. We might talk about too, which was a bit like that. It's like, oh, you just created something very quickly, and it was impressive. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. You just give it a crack. Yeah, it is that lack of awareness, but um, it's all stupidity as well, mixed with stupidity, um, and a sense of risk. I think, like, I just always say, hey, well, man can go to the moon, then we can do anything we want. Mm. But I don't think you're that stupid. So. Oh, probably <laughs> softened a little bit in my older age, but I still think I'm 16 on the inside. So, yeah. <laughs> well, you, you've got um, 
Why don't we fast forward a little bit? Yeah. Right. So, you know, you, you had, you had the, the, the work you did in the music, music industry. You really honed some of those entrepreneurial behaviors and skills. You, you then had another startup. Um, and I guess that again, another, another build. Um, but frontlines where you, you, I guess some people say your third business is your best. Um, but tell us about this story. This is where I think there isn't just a stupidity. There's some sophistication. There's a lot of thought. There's a problem you're solving that's really meaningful and you're getting great traction. Um, so yeah, perhaps the, the context of frontline, what the problem is you're solving, where are we going with it? Yeah, sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll take you back. I'll start with a story. I'll take you back a few years mm. uh, to give you some context of where this whole thing started. Yeah. So uh, my lovely wife, Maria, had sent me into Bunnings to buy a drill, to put a big TV up like like that on, onto a concrete wall. Yeah. Okay, cool. And on the way there, I thought to myself, what do I know about drills? I haven't bought a drill in a long time. So I thought maybe Black & Decker's a brand and maybe 500 bucks is a price point. Those are two things I kind of thought. Yeah, got reasonable, yeah. yeah. So I walked into Bunnings and I see the power tool section, you know, that's right in front always. Um, and I see two people there. And in my head, I'm thinking, okay, they're going to know. They're, they're going to know the price, the warranty, the speed, whatever it is. And they're just going to get me out of there, right? Yeah. And um, I'm an easy customer. Just point me at it and I'll go, okay, cool. And um, I'll, I'll believe you. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they can probably push me up to a $1,000 thing. Like I'm, I'm easy like that. Um, I just want to save a bit of time. Mm. And it's, I don't think it's unreasonable to expect that when you go in to spend that kind of money, mm-hmm. you know. So I went up to the first guy. And mind you, these, these are lovely kids. Uh, the first guy starts picking up the boxes and trying to read the boxes to me. I'm going, all right, well, I can probably read the box myself. And then, you know, that um, multilingual instruction manual, Hungarian, yeah, German, yeah. yeah. He starts unfolding that in front of me and trying to find the English. I'm thinking, wow, this guy doesn't really know. Anyway, he, he gets pretty embarrassed about his own lack of understanding of his product. And he says, oh, I don't really know. Would you mind talking to someone else? And um, that that person, lovely girl, she she ends up, you know, similar reaction, but she hangs her head, goes bright red, and she whispers, you should probably go to Mitre 10 around the corner. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> I've got $500 in my pocket and, and um, you don't want to take it. What's going on here? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. So I, I, I thought if I, I – I put myself through uni by working at retail and I thought if that had happened to me – I mean, this is back in the day of fax machines. If someone – if I would said, you know, at Officeworks, oh, don't buy it here, go and buy it somewhere else, I probably would have been fired. Mm. So I, I, I walked away going, this is just mental. And I, I went to another drill shop straight after and exactly the same thing happened to me. Exactly the same thing. The guy was on a counter, all the drills were behind him, and he starts Googling and goes, oh, I don't really know. There's no one else here. I'm like, wow, there's a bit of a problem here. So I just then I started thinking, what if that happened at once at once a day at every Bunnings, once a day at every Rebel, once a day at every Priceline? Mm. And you sort of get the back of the envelope there. It starts to add up into a bit of a problem. And I think, thinking, do these companies want to lose our revenue? So Anyway, I started doing a bit of research, and this is just me being ADD brain going, why, 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 why couldn't I spend the money? Why couldn't I do this? Not so much with a business in mind, but just trying to open up the problem a bit mm. and try to understand why I couldn't spend money. That was the thesis, yeah? And I, I, thought, I thought back to my days at retail and I thought, okay, how did we learn about the fax machine then? 
and back then the Fujitsu dude used to come in and 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 we used to write I used to speak to him and write down okay this does this and pages per minute and blah 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 write down the points photocopy it and give it to my staff there and that's how we learn yeah yeah makes pretty, sense yeah, yeah pretty old school <laughs> get the I'm knowledge like, dis- document it distribute yeah, it <laughs> a couple of points right mm. but how do they get those couple of points now so that's what I wanted to uncover mm. how's that how's that happening now so I went on this pretty deep journey of research into customer service environments where people uh, sell third-party products. Mm -hmm. So they're essentially custodians of that product. So the brand sits here, it goes through a disintermediation process through the retailer and sits there with that person. How does that person have those points that used to be on paper? Mm -hmm. So that's what I was trying to understand. It turns out there's a few big structural, structural issues at play that prevent people learning properly. Um, one would be uh, the economic conditions in, let's just pick large retailers for the moment, right? Because yeah. it's easy to explain. So large retailers like Bunnings, who have got tens of thousands of people to turn up at work every day. They want those people to be stacking the shelves, be in front of customers, be in the warehouse, be the, on the cash register, whatever it is. Mm. But what they don't want is for them to go to work and go straight to a back room and do a course on a Black & Decker drill. Mm. I, I had... Ex- I didn't even tell this story last night on a meeting in the UK and the lady, the head of L&D for this company, said exactly the same thing back to me. She said, we don't want our staff to come to work and sit on an e-learning course at work. It costs us too much. Yes. That's a big issue for them, right? Mm, Makes sense. And there's also, there's a bit of a friction point around Bunnings having their staff. I'm not saying this is, I'm not saying this is Bunnings situation particularly, but a retailer having their staff learn about a third party product. Yeah. The retailer doesn't mind them learning about the retailer and their values and the objectives and whatever, yes. but or safety or whatever it is. But learning, but paying them to learn about a third-party product grates a bit. We found. Yeah. Okay. It grates, but it, yet it's of high commercial va- commercial value to educate the customer to help them buy more efficiently. Yep. Exactly. So it got, is. Yeah. That's the that's the kind of that's the push and pull thing that we deal with every day. Mm. Um, but they eventually the retailers go well. If you do the maths, tens of thousands of people going to doing a course every day for one hour, whatever it is, it starts to tank the business. So there's got to be a better way. That's that's one issue. Um, the second issue revolves around uh, legislative overlays that sit around around businesses that you know in Australia it's called Fair Work, um, which guarantees a minimum of three hours to a, an employee. Um, so basically, the the first point was was what what um what the problem is when it when a team member learns in the store mm-hmm. so when they're learning out of the store this is where the legislative stuff comes in because if they went out if someone was at rebel sport and went outside outside the boundaries of their work meaning the time their their shift or the or the store and learnt something on the rebel app um then they can technically claim a minimum of 3 hours from rebel okay right so they, doing- so they can be paid for it is that right yeah because okay. it's work-related activities, mm. um, and if they do one hour, one minute, and cr- and claim three hours, suddenly things start to get shaky as well. Complex, yeah, yeah. So those so, are the big so, ones, and the the, th- the third parties, um, the way people learn has changed violently in the last few years. So interesting stat about TikTok. Um, actually, let me ask you what you think it is. Every day, how many? How many? Days of or how many year, hours or years or whatever you want to you want to think are consumed of TikTok every day? 
Globally. Oh, oh, oh globally. By, oh, not yeah. by not you. Not by one. Not by, <laughs> so I'm thinking each person, maybe three, three hours. Yes. This is a lot. That's okay, a lot. so you've got millions of people. Wow, yeah. that's – I don't even know the number. Trilli- trillions in, yeah, in a day. In, oh, billions in a day. I don't know. It's a few hours multiplied by close to a billion users, I'm assuming. That's a lot. It's a lot. It's a big a number. Yeah. It's a really big number. And um, if, as, of, if, as of last week or so, it was 114,000 years per day. <laughs> <laughs> that's more than modern civilization like in a huge. day wow in a day. yeah and that, and that's and you're right so there's, there's so much information going around the globe uh, fundamentally but our our access to information is so much easier these days and so yeah. we're consuming a lot so to what do we retain and what do we decide to let go of is probably an interesting question is it's it's very easy to remember that funny meme that you sent to your friend the other day do, do you know about the black and decker drill yeah. And do you know enough about it? Yeah. <laughs> and how exactly. quickly can you digest it? Totally. Mm. So that that shows that that there is um our eyeballs are focused on short form video mm. because um we know that you can get the value you want really quickly. And and the statistics on on TikTok and 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 the time the time it takes to swipe up it's incredible. It's less than 2 seconds that a user will give to to get to the next piece of content unless they get value out of that video. Okay. So I want to build on this for, around your platform. So at the moment you've said there's a productivity issue um, and the complexity in it is taking people off the floor or yep. high, higher productivity to learn. And we have this negative relationship potentially with learning on the job. Um, but, it, it, but it is time consuming. The second piece we've got here is that you know, we we potentially, from a legislative point of view, have people stepping out, and there's a whole lot of complexity about how you control that. I mean, a lot of compliance and governance and confusion that would play out, and then so we want to simplify that. Yeah. And then we've got this um, idea of rapid download of information, which people are starting to get more used to. Right. So how does how does this look in your product? What does a what does a customer get? What does the user get? Yeah. So in our product, um, there's a couple of things which I'll not talk about. But because it's sort of confidential stuff. Yes. But um, in in our product, we essentially deliver a TikTok style environment, very much based on a scientific approach to learning. Mm-hmm. Um, so the users get to um, get to. I always say no one's got twenty minutes for a course anymore, but I think they've got twenty seconds. Mm-hmm. So we cut up cut up stuff, and there's there's one of the theories behind this is scientific theory to. Um, there's two big theories, anchor theories that, that we that we use as foundational elements for for learning, um, and one's called space repetition, mm-hmm. and it states that if you can deliver a small amount of facts, then stall it, then deliver it again, then stall it and deliver it again. That that repetition cycle with stalls in the middle is where the deeper memory is created. Okay, so um, we're all about creating the memory, retaining it, and recalling it. How do you work those in in short form video? Um, the other one. An interesting theory in in um, in memory creation is called the primacy and recency theory, mm-hmm. and that states that if you apply it to video, it could be applied to conversation as well. If you apply it to video, um, there's a graph that says your mind takes in all the stuff at the start, then drops through the floor, and all the stuff at the end. Mm-hmm. So instead of having a ten minute video with one start and one end, why don't you have ten one minute videos with ten starts and ten ends? You know, mm-hmm. but we break it down even further. Okay, so. 
Go on, you say something. Oh, well, I'm just I'm thinking really practically at the moment. My brain goes that way. Yeah. And I think some of my some of the listeners that get used to this is like, okay, so how, like that to me says that if we're thinking about many, many different products and we're trying, you know, we're trying to educate a salesperson or a customer service person where we need to have the mechanism to allow them to search for that product to have multiple ver- you know, touch points around what that product might need you know what we might need to educate them on yep. and they're going to be short sharp 20 seconds so if the customer was even right in front of them they could literally learn it in that's front it. of them that's it yeah exactly okay yeah that's right that's quite cool so if i'm working down at i don't know coles or smallies or something and there's a there's a program on and I don't really understand it, I can quickly swipe it in the morning, learn it. And if anyone asks me a question, I'm ready to ready to rock and roll. Exactly. And that's the yeah. idea. We um we worked with Coles earlier this year and um we trained all their front end staff on flybys mm-hmm. because um uh just to just to increase advocacy of flybys and awareness of it and to that with the hope that that would translate into the customers. And it was an incredibly high highly engaged course. And just the magic to it was that it was just really, really short and simple um, and fun, you know. Yeah. We call it edutainment. So we try and try and make ed- ed- <laughs> education fun. Well, it's interesting because I am I think I talked to you about this. I'm anti-edutainment, right? Yeah, right. Because I, I have this view that a lot of people are so edutained that they forget what they're actually solving, yeah, yeah. what problem yep. they're solving, right? Yep. But obviously in a work context for this, it's it's – it can be fun. It can be easy. Yeah. And given it's so short, it, it can be both. I I think in a more complex transformational changes, you know, totally. we can be yeah. edu- edutained and we go back and become the same person the yeah. next day and that's not particularly healthy. But uh, that's my little rant on that. Um, depends on the context. Depends right? on the context, right? So I get why you do that. So maybe just for the use, uh, for the audience, you know, uh, you know, people in our audience get very curious about how businesses become and what they become and the problems you're solving, which is where we've been little bit but what does what does this look like practically in terms of the traction you've built customers you know just some examples that and stories you, you shared the coles example what are some stories that help help make this a real product yeah so um the first the the very first client that we had was bondi sands as a brand um and they spoke to priceline about what we're doing and priceline was like oh we've got our own system but bondi sands said hey we We'd like to use Frontline because we think that's going to work for us. Um, and so they went and convinced Priceline that, that it was good for everyone. Um, in the end, it worked really well. It um, increased the sales and confidence. That's that's kind of a mark, the main marker for us if we can create confidence with these team members. Um, so that that was the early stuff. Um, and then then we did a, a, did a deal with a with a Sydney based oh, the head office in Sydney retailer called Pharmacy for Less, mm-hmm. which has got about 120 stores um, in in pharmacy. And um, Ferris, the CEO, I tracked him down one at, at a conference one day, and I and I just said, mate, I saw him walking across the the hall in this conference with 5,000 people, and I saw him and said, oh mate, can I get five minutes with you, please? Please, can I get five minutes? And it, like, give me two minutes. And I dragged him, and he and he sat down with me, and I showed him the video. And I said, "This is what we want to do," and he, and on the spot, he said, "Let's do it," like that. So it was a real lucky chance. But I had to be there. I've actually found a few times when I go and actually knock on people, turn up people's doors. That's when like things happen to work. It's interesting. There's so many founders that I've worked worked with and spoken to in the early doors. The 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 real value is that hustle and willingness to oh, put yeah. yourself in a position of luck. Yeah, totally. How much do you see luck play out? Uh, I think luck's a big part of it, a big part of it. But if you 
it, you increase the chances of luck if you increase the, the time that you're in front of people. Yeah. I yeah. reckon. Yeah. So are you still active in the sales process? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. We did a, we've, um, we've done a deal with the, with the Emirates group in, in the UAE, which we're launching soon. Um, we've just done a big deal with, uh, Paramount Liquor, who's a big liquor distributor in Australia. Mm. So they're, they're taking us to all the brands that, that they distribute throughout the country and all the venues that they, that they distribute to around the country. Outstanding. Yeah. So it's all building. It's yeah. all building. And we're going out to 15,000 cabin crew in Ryanair next week, which is, you know, Ryanair, the yeah. European airline. Yeah. 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 Mate, it's, uh, I won't get you to tell us your whole customer list because we mm. don't want to give all of that yeah. away, but it's, I, I know, and we've talked about this offline, it's, it, you're certainly getting some good traction. So maybe if we shift gear just to tell us a bit about the, the journey of the business development itself. Yeah. Um, you know, you've, you've started to build a team, you've, you've got, got funding um where's all that at tell us a bit about the the context and how the business is evolving yeah so that's one part but just just in terms of of this bd part and this is something that i that i i'm a big advocate for mm. in terms of in terms of developing uh longer term stronger strategic partnerships mm. at width mm. is um i i at the start when i when i only had a few brands because the brands pay us to, they're our customer. Yeah, right? of to course. Um, I said, okay, how how do I get to, I had a little vision in, so we operate in many sectors, pharmacy is one of them, right? Mm. I had a vision to get to 10,000 brands in pharmacy paying us. Um, and that's really difficult when it was one person knocking on the door, Procter & Gamble and yeah. all that stuff. It wouldn't happen. I couldn't, there's not enough luck, right? I couldn't be in front of that many people. But yeah, you're only one human. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I thought, how can I, how can I make this a win-win for every stakeholder involved? That's my headspace always mm. is how do we, how do we develop something that everyone smiles, everyone is happy and everyone goes long-term and wins a lot out of it, a lot of value in it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I came up with a, with an idea to, to, in, to, um, to get the retailer to actually help us with all their supplies. And so that's a, that's one of the mechanisms that we have in frontline where the retailer or the, we call it the host. So, uh, an airline could be a host. Any any entity that holds the people that we train. Well, the other thing is they have to hold the infrastructure as well, don't they? Yeah, yeah. So they they really need to coordinate that the app is being used by their staff. It's been downloaded. It's being provided oh, to them. Or is that th how that's is that opt in? Is that the yep. staff opt into our system? Okay. Yep. So it's done in their own time, not the retailers. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I would have thought that the retailer might take a bit more control of that because it's in their interest. Uh, then you hit this legislative issue. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, the, okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. That so makes it's all sense. Done, it's all done um, in their own time. Wow. Yeah. All right. So they, they set it up, but they can use it during work hours. If the retailer allows if, them if to, it, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that that's that that um, that partnership um, mechanism that we struck early on worked really well um, with our first partner, retail partner, and they went and, and told all their suppliers about it, which was great. And then it accelerates the introduction. Right? Yeah. 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 Because I'm not, I can't knock on Procter and Gamble's door. But when a retailer who buys millions of dollars worth of stuff off them every year knocks on the door and says, "We want to use Frontline and we want to make your life easier," yep. yeah, yeah, then it all starts to be really easy. Interesting. And so, do you have a, a sales lead for each channel? Or how have you structured it? Um, we we have some account managers. Yep. It's generally uh, the the top the the sort of the largest strategic global deals. Myself would generally do in conjunction with our, our chairman, we go in for the, for the sort of bigger ones, mm -hmm. the more complex ones. Um, and then, then they all, they all come down through a system. We've got a um, couple of salespeople and then account managers. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
fairly traditional hierarchy. It's uh, yeah. and you're um, you're pulling the bigger deals together. Do you find that that is necessary? Do you find that it's a case of requiring the trust of having you in the room? Like where where do you like where do you find you get your best value of your time? Yeah, I think I think the um, yeah, I, I'm like I've had requests from from the bigger ones to have me in the room, um, and. It, I actually think it's it's a sign of respect as well to them that that hey I'm I'm here and I'm serious about yeah. it, I'm invested in it yeah. yeah yeah I'm here to answer any questions and I I always say call me whenever you want if you're in London in the middle of the night I'm here you know mm. I don't have it I don't have one of those email off things or whatever it's called I'm D- just does like, your ADD brain like that yeah <laughs> it's always on anyway so <laughs> call me whenever I'm yeah. I'm open yeah. Shop's always open. Well, I've I've wondered that with you because you are so passionate and so energetic about this and we're sort of scratching the surface a bit about you today. But, you know, that's the one thing I've noticed in you is you've got a lot of passion for what you're doing. And um, I wonder, you know, I asked that question about structure before, but maybe we can sort of pull that around. How how do you develop your team and and ensure you have enough boundaries so you can continue to lead and grow the vision of this business? What, What have you been doing to set yourself up for success? Um, so yeah, so I'm I'm seriously disorganised. Um, I've got a wonderful EA, uh, and I've I know that I'm pretty crap at most things, but I've I've got people around me to help me with all sorts of stuff, including all the back end stuff and and managing heads of departments and things like that. Mm. Um, and then putting a bit of a, a leash on myself. Actually, I've got I hold my own leash sometimes because I'm aware um, how you know. How crazy some of the requests can be in the yeah. middle of the night. So what do you, you know, I always find with investors, they'll say, I'm, I'm back in the, I'm back in the founder and I'm also back in the idea, right? Mm. What, what do you think they back? There's something about you that you're not crap at everything. What do they back about you? What do you think? Um, I think it's my intense desire to crack a win-win for everyone. I think it's that. And, and that, that flows through everything. Mm. Yeah. Like with my team, I always say to them, um, I've got a deck about our culture and all that kind of stuff, and and one of them it's an it's an it's an it's an acronym, right? And the words future, and the the U is you come first always, mm-hmm. and I honestly believe that mm-hmm. the company doesn't come first; they come first because um, if they're not functioning properly and happy internally in their own life and their business, then how are they going to come to work? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I always think that you've actually got to be selfish to become selfless. Paradoxically, right? You have to be. You have to take care of number one before you can. You can have the energy to to be selfless. Totally. Yeah, and and that goes for you as well. In the process of ensuring you're investing in your people, to ensure that they're investing in the success of your business, yeah, right? Yeah, it's totally. a full cycle. Yeah. So how do you look after yourself? Um, yeah, big meditator. Been meditating for a long time. My my grandmother was a meditator for. I don't know, 70 years or something, a teacher. Yeah. So she um she taught us when we were from the age when we were really young. Um, although back then I was always one eye open because I was wondering where the toys are. <laughs> <laughs> a distracted meditator. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I find meditating gives me the clarity to 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 find boundaries within the problems and move within them with ease. When everything's just cross-pollinating and overlapping, I find meditation puts them in nice little places that are soft and easy to easy to negotiate with because mm, a lot of moving parts right oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah and you've got to chunk them into part uh, chunk them in the bit i do this as well chunk them in the parts so they don't see or feel so overwhelming yeah, yeah. you have to yeah. and then you've got to just sort of have an attitude like hey if it whatever happens happens like it's you know 
we've all been to ups and downs, and ups and downs will always happen. Yeah. But we, if, we're, if we're intense enough on the win-win, that's the driver that continues to move the thing forward yeah, in spite totally. of the downsides. Yep. Yeah. So um, talking about your ways of thinking and working, you did get, I got a really lovely little gift here. Um, for if you're li- listening audio only and you're not getting the video, what is this, mate? What have you given me? Okay, so I want to pass this on to to good people. I actually want to become like an ambassador or something for this. Not a paid ambassador, but because I'm so into it. These are Aquanotes, waterproof paper for your shower. And you said it to me that you're a big thinker and you have long showers like myself. Um, and uh, so my shower's full of waterproof paper with all the ideas, right? And Frontline was one of those ideas a long time ago. Just as stupid little things. Why do employees do this? Why do you know how can we, how can we do this better? It was a scratch in a shower. Yeah. And then I have a system, but that's incredible for me. And and most entrepreneurs, I've found a lot of entrepreneurs like to think in the shower because it's it's yeah. kind of. Uh, but you've got nowhere to put your ideas apart from using your finger. Yeah, on the steam. On, on the steam. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, if, if, if you're a bit of a weirdo like us, you've done that before. Yeah. <laughs> Drawing it all so, out. So, mate, that's going to be a life changer for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. It's yeah. uh, it's going to feel a bit weird. I, you know, the idea of writing on waterproof paper is just something I haven't experienced. So what, I'll have yeah. to, I'm going to give it a it's go. It's like a sort of, it's got a bit of a plastic sheen over it and the pencil writes on it, but it's amazing. One of my one of my team members, my wife and I were, were away recently, and one of my team members who we're friends with came and stayed over. <laughs> she saw the shower with all the craziness in there, and she was like, Mark, what's this? What's this? What's this? I went, oh, no, that's for no one to see. But, it's, it's confidential. Yeah, yeah it's confidential. you got to use the other shower. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aquanotes, you've just had a little plug, oh, and, yeah. and you've given me a couple other uh, little bits. So I will, I'll, wear, I'll wear the... Uh, the front line, front line uh, the front line jersey with fried. So uh, thanks, mate. Will come out. Thank later. you, mate. Yeah, awesome. My, if anyone sees me around, it's Mark. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, mate. Yeah. You know that. That to me. Um, you know the way we function as a as a, a leader and founder is always um, really important to take. I think you know some serious consideration of because as things evolve, the challenges evolve, and it really relies on how we deal with it. I, I always have that principle that. I use with a lot of our clients and that is the business is a reflection of us. It's a reflection of you. So where, like as the business is evolving, what are you really conscious of in terms of setting it up for success and where are you, I guess, doubling down? Just providing value. Yeah. I'm super customer centric. I'm, I think as a person, person, I'm an empath kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm always, you know, that's it has its bad sides as well, but I'm always trying to put myself in their shoes to understand what are the issues for them and can we provide value? And if we can't, then, hey, let's identify it and mm-hmm. say we're, we're not the right partner. I went to a meeting the other day and the first thing was, I don't think we're going to be right for you, but, hey, I'm happy to chat around. Yeah. We weren't right for them. Okay, great. Yeah. What, what's, uh, what's a customer that's not right for you? Oh, commodity products. Yep. Um, commodity, yeah, commodity sort of products um, with really low margin, those kind of things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, not, make there's not enough in it for them. Yeah. Yes, yeah, because you don't really ask about a sticker or something. Yeah, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's always, it's, I always come and I tell my team this, we've got to be really customer focused. Always think about how we can do things, not just commercial focused, like value focused. How can we make their lives better mm. so we become a really strong long-term partnership? Mm. Well, I suppose that's the essence of your business. That's really what you're, you're trying to make the, the, the solution solve a problem that ultimately, um, is based on being more curious, right? It's based on actually saying, well, 
you know, someone's going to ask a question about that shoe or someone's going to ask a question about that drill. And we need to kind of understand what that process looks like in order to actually produce the video, which which helps the learning, yeah, right? Yeah, so yeah. if you don't get to the heart of the problem and you can't, if you can't role model that in the sales process, how can you role model that in designing the solution with them? Yeah, exactly. Well, all the retailers that we speak to around the world all have this issue. We don't know how to, how to communicate with Gen Z. Mm. Um, and we, I was on the phone to a big luxury retail in the UK recently. Um, and they said, you know, when, when customers come in and want to buy a thousand dollar shirt, you've, the, those people traditionally don't know enough about that shirt, you know, where the wool comes from or whatever. And we don't know how to teach them about it mm -hmm. because, so that's why I always, that's this sort of sense of curiosity and trying to understand the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I, I DJ for a long time, right? And the last 10 years of my DJ career were literally to culture watch because I'm, I'm so fascinated in the cyclical nature of what happens in, in, you know, in trends from music to the way people dress, to the way people dance, sing, drink, you know, all those things change every sort of five to eight years. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, oh, tell us about that. What do you think is happening? What, what's, what are you noticing in Gen Z, for example, at the moment? Um, there's so much opportunity for them there. There's, a, there's so many publications that bag Gen Z because of their work ethic or whatever. But, but I think I think of it quite the opposite. I think that there's so many opportunities for them. Like when we were 16, we couldn't have made a million dollars off, off of Instagram, right? Mm. Now it's kind of normal mm. for a kid to set up a Shopify store and off you go. Yeah, totally. Um, and they have so much more access to information about how to do things um, that we didn't have. So I think. Gen Z is is in this place where you know they they're commanding what commerce looks like in the next 5 to 10 years mm -hmm. the statistics on on their purchasing behavior um in in things like in TikTok and things like social selling which is probably going to be the next wave of e-commerce mm -hmm. that's that's showing that that they do things really differently and they're proud of it and rightly so yeah. i mean we're old 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 people, right? They don't want to be like us. <laughs> well, it's just funny when you sort of say about old people. I, I still remember, you know, trying so hard years ago to work out, you know, I want to start a business and I want to find, and I'd go and I'd try, I'd Google something and there was nothing there, right? It, it, was, it was when Google existed. Before that, you'd get it in Carter or something, right? Or you'd go to an encyclopedia yeah, to yeah. find things out. Or like, it's so, you're so right about the access. But what are you noticing around you know, obviously when you're designing uh, the, the learning solutions, you know, what you're talking about here, what, what are the biases of Gen Z? What do they really want? They um, want value right up front. Mm. They know that they hold the keys to, to commerce. They know that they can get value somewhere else if you don't give it to them. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that mindset is, you know, it has a lot of power behind it because it's, it's exactly what is available there. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, if you don't apply yourself to that, then Hey, you're going you're gonna to miss out on on captivating them. And, and how much? And this is a huge generalization, so I don't want to. You know, I'm not picking on anyone in Gen Z, but I, I th I'd imagine from a retail context, um, you know, if I'm if I own a retail group, I would be thinking, well, I want my staff showing up, you know, in the way that reflects our customer, that cares for our customer, that has a passion for our product. But I also appreciate that this is some for some of them a a job for six months before they go to uni. Like it's, there's a, there's a balance there, right? Around, you know, the, the transient nature of retail and, but also the care for the product. What do you notice around, you know, you talked about, 
you know, a thousand dollar shirt or a jumper, right? That's that's a it's, people don't just buy the shirt; they're buying the nostalgia or the, what it means to them. And there's a whole lot more to that kind of purchase. What are you finding in the education for certain types of products where there's needs does does there need to be a, more, a stronger depth around the history and the the origins and why things matter as much as what the product does? Are you noticing that with different customers? Yeah, totally. In in exactly the fashion world, um, if you're selling a I don't know, a Tommy Hilfiger shirt, you don't, the customer doesn't want to know what the cotton is or something like that. They want to know, you know, what Tommy Hilfiger has done with what influencer and what celebrity and, and build the story around that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, different, different products, different education styles, whether it's, and it's generally driven by storytelling features and benefits are one thing, mm-hmm. but in fashion, particularly in, in, in apparel, it's, generally more about the the external pieces to the yeah. to the story what, what has surprised you most like what has been a, something oh, I, I didn't realize these guys did that or i didn't realize that was so important to their story um oh one one oh, we get we get stuff all the time that's interesting because we 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 try to create knowledge that results in a deep hook that you remember for the rest of your life right mm-hmm. and um i don't want to throw any manufacturers under the bus but one of the one of the manufacturers, actually, I won't tell exactly the story because I don't want to um, breach confidence. But um, one of the manufacturers of a very well-known product has got has got a um, has got an approach that's very different to the, exactly the same in the, the competitor, mm. um, and they've got all this research of what they does actually does does the job, and the other one actually doesn't do the job at all. Mm. So we find that all the time with competing brands, and that's you know in 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 product categories where there's so much competition for individuality or or something different then you, you find manufacturers go right down rabbit holes to, to find the research and find yeah, why and really carve out the, the the either the competitor or the the rationale yeah totally yeah. yeah so we see that all the time and it's pretty fascinating actually yeah i, I yeah i could imagine like you know, for me that lights me up i'm sure for for people listening to this they get curious about all sorts of things you wouldn't sit in an hour-long podcast listening to a founder of a company if you weren't a little bit that way inclined so, yeah, um but uh, mate it's it's good so um might change gears a little bit so one of the other things that um i've noticed in you we talked a bit about gen z but you're you're also very passionate about um learning development i guess the future of um, our society, you know, you, you just showed me a moment ago a prototype for a mentoring platform you're working on as well. But can you tell us a little bit about why that's a passion, and maybe we can talk a bit about the the platform if you like. Yeah, well. sure. Yeah. Um, so my um, my kind of purpose with this business is really clear to me, and it's a it's kind of like a natural state for me, and it's one of the first times in my life I've found myself to- totally at harmony with everything and why I'm doing it. Um, and I think I, I told you on our first call that that uh, when I was at that chasm of uh, adolescence into adulthood, sort mm. of 16 to 24, whatever, uh, that was a pretty difficult time for me mm. because my dad had died. I um, I didn't have any strong mentor figures in my life. I had great a great mother and a great sister, but I wanted to be a, a young man, right? And I had no one to teach me how to be a young man, hence made a lot of mistakes that a lot of young men do. Yeah. So, or young women. So, um, and what we're doing at Frontline, um, so actually take it back. So as soon as I became, you know, a little bit older and a little bit wiser, uh, I decided to try and help people in that specific age group. Mm. 
because mm-hmm. as we talked about, I think it's you know it's it's our responsibility as adults to try and give back to that generation or people people who could use our, our help. Yes. Um, and that's always been a passion point for me mm-hmm. to help that generation. And I've mentored a lot of people in that in that population. And what we're doing at Frontline in terms of upskilling and certification and giving people a bit of a bit of a leg up in their career journey, that's kind of that's the that's the purpose for me. And that's mm-hmm. what drives gets me out of bed really happy every day because I know that that those people on the front line for people like you and I, a couple of certifications don't really mean that much, but for someone who's got nothing on their resume and suddenly have got all these certifications, their manager's going to look at them and go, and we find this all the time. The managers look at them and go, hey, that's a that's a person who's, you know, who's probably got the right, the right way of thinking. Yeah, yeah. It's um you use the word it's a responsibility. Yeah. What why do you think it's a responsibility? Uh because, you know, we've we've been through it. We we wish we didn't have to go through it as as you know as bad as some of the points were. Mm. Therefore, I think it's a, it's as adults, it's really our role to try and use whatever we have. And it's it's as I said, it's the it's kind of without sounding cheesy, it's the circle of life. Like yes, we've got to keep feeding back into those that are coming up behind us. Yeah, I think you're I think you're right, and it's interesting because you know, and I I want to ask you a question about this, right? So some of my best learnings have come from people that have shone a light on something that I couldn't see, right? And whether that's been a footy coach or a teacher or or someone that's just a a little bit wise, a little bit more experienced and just putting those things in front of me, right? So there's there's a lot of value. And that's then it's my responsibility to take it, I believe. But on the other hand, there's been some value in going through the hard knocks. Um, Yeah, yeah, as I'm sure there are for you, right? You've had a few hard knocks and you learn some lessons in, in your, your early days, right? Um, and for me, like I talked about a failed startup with you just before that I was part of that if I had not gone through it, I don't think I'd be who I am today. I'm so glad for it as much as I hated the experience at the time. So for you, you know, around that responsibility and men- maybe mentoring and developing as much as there's an education component of it, what, what do you think some of the lessons are that you, you, you would bring back outside of more knowledge are there things around resilience are there things around dealing with adversity that you know unfortunately you can talk about it but people have to go through it yeah it just to backtrack there's an interesting point you made there about the hard knock versus the the gentle guiding into something yeah. that you probably may or may not take up mm. the hard knock is an acute you've had the baseball bat in the head right yeah, whack. It's, it's acute and it and it hurts it really hurts and but therefore, the reaction that you take usually is quicker mm. to change. Mm. Yeah. Totally. Whereas the other the other approach is a longer burn. Um, but I think you probably at the end achieve the same thing. Yes. Yes. And you could. And there's might probably a combination of both that com- combined into a the result of who you become and how yep. you become. Yeah. Totally. I think you, you need a mix of both, right? Mm. Those those horrible times are some of the best times for me. Yeah. Some of the worst stuff for me, some of the best stuff for me. And it's 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 given me the resilience to yeah. to go, well, all right. Well, um, and that that's kind of in startup world. Um, I was I was given a um uh, a bit of advice early on when I was younger, and it's this is horribly pessimistic. And I'm an optimistic person, right? Yeah, totally. But this is this is like the other side of optimism, and it actually helps me be optimistic. And it's awful, right? But the advice is it gets worse before it gets worse. It's awful, right? (laughs) 
But that's but being ready for baseball bats along the way all day that sets you up for for low expectations um, and to be able to get through anything. That's does to me. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, for for a lot of people I've worked with in my own journey, and it sounds like you're similar. Is the more I've conditioned myself to to feel comfortable in that pain or frustration, the less it's painful anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the more your optimism your optimism actually shows up as a yeah as a strength because totally. you're okay with the fact that shit happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I wake up every day and I I um say to myself, like gratitude's a big thing, obviously, but I actually say I'm lucky, you know, I'm I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky to to have a board with great people. I'm lucky to have such a great team. I'm lucky to have relationships with you, mm. with customers, with whoever, you know, because there's low expectations. Yeah. And yeah. everything is a win for me. Everything's a win. Yeah, gratitude. It's yeah. A, it's a, it, and I've found, I don't know if you've found this, but when you are in the pressure cooker, gratitude gets you out of it too, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. What's what, I mean, on this topic, and you could go anywhere with this, I don't know where you'll go with this question, but what, what has been, you know, an acute moment, a big learning for you where you've gone, shit, you know, either I won't do that again or wow, it's reframed the way I'll look at, I'll look at, uh, I look at business or I look at leadership or I look at my journey. Yeah. Um, I, I used to drink alcohol and I don't anymore. Mm -hmm. And I haven't drunk for 14 years now. Um, but prior to that, I, I, um, you know, I looked at myself just at the end of my drinking career, looked at myself and went, this is bad. This is bad news because, yes. you know, once I start, I want to keep, want to keep drinking. And so, um, I made a, a, a decision on the spot and it was really, really hard, like really hard for quite a while. Yeah. Um, um, but it gave me the strength to say, to know in my own mind, if I, if I say that I'm going to do something, I'll do it and it'll happen. Mm. So it gave me that belief in myself, I suppose. In spite of all the temptation. Yeah. Because at the time you walk past the pub, see a mate, they know you, they'll offer you a drink. Because you came over and that's what they do with yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so you've uh, so you've been through that. Well, how does that play out in other areas of your life? How does it play out in business? Are there any other examples like that? Oh, it's, it's a sense of tenacity, I suppose, mm -hmm. um, and 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 grind to make things happen. Mm -hmm. Because I, I yet yeah, when when there's a no, I always go, okay, how can I make it a yes? You got to you got to understand when to fall back because sometimes you know it's never going to be yeah, a yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's and it's just a use uh, useless use of resources. Yes, but I. I always look at those things as great opportunities to go to either learn mm -hmm. from it and, mm -hmm. and pick up information on why it's a no, mm -hmm. or or just battle through and find ways and find ways, um, and that comes from this attitude of of nothing's nothing's a problem. Mm. How do you find with your staff? And I, you know, I'm going to. It's a complete um, judgment as opposed to knowing whether this is actually happening. But I'd imagine with a guy like you. A lot of energy, positive, lots going on. You're pretty fast on your feet. You know, you're very curious. You want to succeed in most things or if everything, yep. probably everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, so your staff, you know, not always built that way yeah. or, or maybe not to the degree you are. Yep. Um, you know, how do you help them grow but not be intimidated by perhaps what you're showing up with? You know, how does that become a positive, not, not potentially a threat? Yeah, that's really interesting you've picked that up because this is like a continuous battle that I've had my whole life where if I come in with too much energy, people go, oh, shit, this, is a guy, this guy's a weirdo, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a weird yeah, dude. Yeah. Um, 
And if I come in with crazy ideas, they go, they just shut down. And so I've gone, how do you, how do you translate that into something that's actionable and something that, that will be met with, with understanding? And yeah. part of it is me, as I said, being empathic towards people and trying to understand where they are in, in their career and in their life mm. and trying to, trying to, um, sort of massage the message so it works for their world. Mm. Um, and definitely I'm still learning at that. Um, but I, I definitely try to to understand where they're at and and construct the communication so it, it, they understand the why um, and what it means for them, what it means to the business, mm. and not just come in, you know, like a tidal wave. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's you know, I I, I can empathise with you a little bit because I know I've had those tendency tendencies in the past yeah, as well. Yeah. And, you know, like, oh, I can see where I can see the top of the mountain. Oh, it's easy, you'll get there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and and it doesn't quite work that way. And and I've and I've let myself down because of the lack of patience or yeah. the lack of. Um, you know, focus on management and leadership of, of our people to bring them along with me, right? Yeah. Um, there's been other successes in it. But, yeah, you know, what are some of the, you know, practical tactics that you're doing to maybe manage that? How do you have these conversations? What are, What's an example where you've seen someone really grab onto a new idea that you didn't maybe expect? Grab on or not grab on? Uh, maybe grab on or not grab on, doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah, just practically what's it looked like? Um, I think with some of the more analytical people in life, um, it's I've really got to look at the message that I'm delivering and try and basically deliver the opposite to way my brain works, yeah. um, um, and and look at a you know where people like yourself and I can see the mountain up there and go yeah yeah, yeah we'll get there it's, da, 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 da. it's in um, when when people want to know that what is the zero to one and one to two to two to three then it's been a challenge for me to try and reverse engineer the way I think mm. but that's that's the way that I try and get by. I'm not always perfect at it but that's the way I try to try to look at it. And and I have some people coaching me with that stuff as well. Yeah, good. Um, yeah. Trying to help me um, deliver those messages. Yeah. And do you have any structures in place for your team, like, uh, you know, 30-day plans, 90-day plans, things that help them chunk their days down, structures that help bind the team? I mean, it sounds like you've got the culture system, which, which is your future acronym, but yep. any other systems that you've thought have been really helpful for helping the team pull together? Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely plans in terms of monthly sort of monthly targets and and how we break that down and how we deliver on them. Um, but where where I also like to keep a keep a sort of twenty five percent flexibility up my pocket mm -hmm. to be able to go, hey, let's flex because this customer um, wants this, and you know, there's so many customers want so many things, but this one looks like it could be really good for the business. So let's shed a bit of staff priorities and then. And double down here, yeah. yeah, and that might be where you see a bit of scale, or you might see something that really can enhance the product overall. Yeah, or totally, totally, and it's it's not just me making a stupid decision like ADD decision. It's kind of looking at it and going, okay, where, how does this influence the entire business trajectory in a positive way? Mm. And and in those situations, right? Because in my experience, you might. Someone might be really logical and you go, yeah, I know there's 25%, but then you're throwing the 25% on the table. Um, how do you introduce that? Is it like a slowdown moment? We pull the team around it. We go, right, there's an opportunity here. Like how is it just whatever happens, see see your, what, what is the situation? Yeah, yeah, is, there, those, is there a method there? Yeah, in those times we generally have a stop work meeting. Yep. Um, it'll generally, I would have sort of had a deep think about why this has to happen. Mm. Um, actually, last this morning, last night and this morning, we had a stop work um, and it wasn't driven from me. It was driven from from um, 
one of my leaders who um who had a had a, a, a big thing happen with one of our customers um and i backed it overnight said yep let's do it yep. your responsibility let's go for it so we had to stop work meeting and everyone is now had to reprioritize and go, pulling so, towards it yep wow and then um you know it's on monday our, our workflow thing and um and everyone's been reprioritizing it's beautiful it's beautiful see the reason i ask you this there's so many startup or growth journeys where we have we call them different things but we need mechanisms to help yeah. everyone um organize their attention to the new priority because there's so much changing yeah you know? there's there's the processes and systems and stuff and and software and whatever but i reckon what what drives it is if i take it back to the interviews that i have with people when i hire them i always say they're, they're number one and i always say i don't want you to tell me if you're having a day off just do it mm -hmm. right because you're here because we trust you mm -hmm. yeah and and that's that's all i look for pretty much in an interview yeah um skill sets one thing but if you can't trust them um and you know what it's like being at our age the uh, it's a real priority being able to sleep at night right yes yes exactly yeah yeah because yeah. you don't want dodgy people around you want people with high integrity those kind of things so how, i mean and this is uh, everyone listening to this like i, I would argue that 90 percent of the business owners i work with like you're reliability, accountability, trust, trustworthiness is so high on the agenda well, yeah. for obvious reasons. But what, like, it's, it's interesting to see how you'd interview for that. You know, um, what do you ask? What do you look for? Are there any kind of markisms that come in here and go, oh, this is how I work out, you know, what, you know, what they're like? Yeah. I like to, um, I like to pick up on their, on their body language, first of all, and, and how they answer questions. But some of the questions would be, um, uh, in a situation where you could do do the right thing or the commercial thing, what did you do? And that's that's always a, a little indicator of, yeah. of where people's integrity is at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then um, you know, it's a it's it's a it's it's an imperfect science really off totally. one interview. Yeah. But and I've got it wrong, definitely got it wrong. But I've probably got it right more than than not. Yeah. And then and I, and I think if you can establish trust there, when you've got to reprioritize and people have got to put in work beyond, you know, normal work, then you've got that there. You've got that that back up there. Yeah, yeah. Because they're not going to go, oh well, I stop work at five, and that's not what you want, right? No, but I say then take just do what you want. Like just get the work done. Yeah. But it'll bounce up. Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, I say to my team, you know, I don't care if you're doing cartwheels on the street. I really don't care. I mean, yeah. the outcome is what we're working yeah. on. And the, and the only caveat to that is communication. You know, respect for one another, collaboratively communicating in a proactive way. So we use a little. Um, it's just another question I'll ask is, okay, it's your day, your sixth day on the job, and uh, you get a phone call, and one of your loved ones, your daughter, your son, someone's broken their leg. They're not dead and they're not going to die, but they've they hurt themselves pretty seriously. Yeah. And they're down at Westmead Hospital or something. What do you do? And it's just all it is, it's just about that respectful communication and reprioritization, right? And you just want to see how people think through the idea that, yeah, yeah of course your family comes first. Yeah. Like, no, no doubt. And that's me showing them that I care for yeah. that and I want them to respect that I would expect you to go to the hospital. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I also expect you to call and talk to people as that unfolds so we can manage through it. Yeah. It's pretty simple, but surprising how often that can, in the heat of the battle, you know, for some people, it's not their DNA and you don't want them working for you, right? Yeah. I know. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good example. Mm. Um, I, I, I would do similar things as well. And I think you showing your team 
that that's your expectations, both from the communication part, but, but hey, your family comes first. That's a fostering of trust right there. Yes, totally, totally. So I, um, we've had a, we've been in lots of little rabbit holes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> all over the place there. I'm sure we could go all day, We mate. could, mate. Um, probably just, the, just a couple of things before we do wrap up though, mate. And, and I think, you know, you certainly onto something with the fact that you've got so much traction in your business, but where do you, what's the future for Frontline? What's the, what's, what are the, if we sit down and, Three or four years' time, what do you think we're going to be talking about? Oh, we just want to be the most ubiquitous tool in learning environments that we're in, mm -hmm. um, in those customer service environments. And, and, and you know, that we, the scaffolding around education, you know, is fundamentally being challenged now. And there's, there's different ways to do it. There's different ways I think it should be done. And there's different ways to create value out of it. And we're an outcome driven company. We don't, we don't, just say, hey, we want someone to watch a video, then we're hands off. Mm. We want the outcome to happen. We want that video to result in confidence and engagement with the customer. Mm. That's where we're at. Mm. We're on that on that stage beyond beyond just flicking a switch on a on a video. Mm. So we want we want a lot of we want to we want we want to make positive change through the with the people that we we educate and give them the upskilling that they need to move further on in their career. Mm. We see ourselves as a little bit of a spark, an early engine piece behind that 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 movement between adolescence and adulthood. I mean we train people that are older, but yeah. but we think if we can be a bit of a spark, a bit of a change agent to yeah. to lift them up into the next journey, that's where we want to So that's a real purpose play on yeah. top of the value creation play. Yep. Yeah. And I noticed in one of you, I, I could be wrong, but one of your taglines I noticed something around that ROI being yeah. a big thing. Right. It's like that's that's what we want to give you. We want to make sure that we're not just giving you some tool that sits on the shelf. I actually had a, a conversation. Uh, I've had this conversation with quite a few corporate leaders. I said, right, what are you doing with the L&D? Oh, we've got LinkedIn learning. We've got this. Great. How many? How often are people using it? Oh, I don't know. Or, yeah. you know, depending on who you're dealing with, whether sometimes HR teams might have more data, but the business leader or line leader usually hasn't tapped into it. They're too busy talking about what the next project is or the next you know, yep. the, you know, other issue is. And so all these beautiful and potentially high value value systems are just not leveraged yeah and they're not they're getting sitting they're, there. they're just getting um they're not getting giving that return so it sounds like you're spending a lot of time around adop adoption right yeah totally mm -hmm. um it's a it's a difficult issue mm -hmm. um exactly your your example it's really difficult to try and understand how to get better at that but and we don't have the 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 answer yet to that but we know that in our little world we adoption means everything to us mm -hmm. and change behavioral change means means everything yeah. which which turns into the roi for the for the people paying us yes and we've proven that that we you know we we we're a, we t we've turned training into a revenue center not a cost center mm -hmm. so mike i'm just gonna i'm gonna throw one in that i often use with a lot of guests and quite thought-provoking but um you know i want to ask a question around with where you've changed your mind now i'm not talking about you know catching bus one versus bus two i'm talking about fundamental uh, views of the world where you've changed your mind, you've gone, geez, I've learned something here and I'm, I'm reframing the way I look at certain situations. Um, what's that for you? Uh, it'd, it'd probably be um, that I'm not always right. Uh, I spent a lot a lot of my youth just just having the gut and just going bang straight into it and making a lot of mistakes that way until I started, you know, having making so many mistakes that there was a bit of pain going around. And um through that experience learned that hey back it up with a bit of 
data, our opinions, other thoughts, um, and then try and make a decision on that. And yeah, learn a lot from those experiences. So bulletproof teen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Totally. Oh, geez, we have a bit in common. But yeah, that um, that pain was there. Is there a particular moment where you go, "Ooh, I'm, I've really got to check myself." Was there anything where, you, where a stage where you where it was so painful that you realised you were really wrong? Yeah, losing everything, mm. losing everything because um, because of a framework of decisions that I'd made that um, that were made. Collectively seemed okay, but each of those decisions were probably a bit flawed in terms of I hired the wrong people, I had the wrong partners, I had the wrong capital partners, had the wrong management, had the wrong whatever, the wrong uh, access to market route, whatever it was, and those together shook the the company so hard that I you know lost it all. So the the pain behind that definitely makes you rethink. It's um going back to our chat earlier, you know, getting beaten up a few times. Yeah. Um, you're a stronger man for it now. What's the, you talked about data and you talked about intuition. You were clearly highly intuitive before that. Um, what's your practice around pulling the data in? What's your practice now about slowing down, making that sure these decisions are a little bit sharper than they were before? Yeah. Um, before when I started frontline, um, it just started as a curiosity piece. And then I went deep into the understanding the issue through research mm -hmm. and that, that was, you know, face-to-face -face research with clipboards. I was sending people out, myself going to Bunnings like a weirdo um, with a clipboard, asking people questions, online surveys, um, databases, the whole thing, trying to understand that. And I, I think I, I, I studied law later in life and I, um, I, I, through the research process there, it taught me a lot on, on how to dig really deep into research and form views from that. Okay. So, and to become much more accurate on what's really going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's balancing the gut with that. That's a that's a big big thing for me in in terms of the way my my, my brain works mm. to get the research and the the research sometimes actually influences the gut. You know, well, it should. You know, and, and it's funny because it's that old what what got you here is not going to get you there. There's probably yeah. things earlier on in your life where that intuition played appropriately for you to yeah. survive, for you to function, for you to realize, geez, I've got to make calls here. I've got to take some leadership. I've got to get, yeah. you know, do things in my life that are important, whether it's just, you know, you know, I, I don't know the situations, but I know for me, you know, I, I moved out of home really young and I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to make a call. I don't know what to do here. I'm just going to do it, you know, and, yep. and some of them didn't work, but most of the time I was right. So it kept reinforcing that <laughs> you get it right most of the time. You yeah, okay. yeah, 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 exactly. So I'm sure there were probably situations like that earlier in your life. Yeah, totally. I've moved out home early as, as well and, um, um, a lot of decisions felt right at the time, but when I look back, mm, probably could have done a little bit better there. Yeah, with a bit more data, a bit more wisdom, right? Yeah, yeah totally. And that's that's what, yeah. As I said, this this um this our responsibility is to give back to those people. I just look at myself at age of sixteen, seventeen, and I go, I wish I had people like Brad in my life that could just give me one or two little things mm. to help me a little bit. Yes. Well, on my side of Mark, yes, I get it. That's really insightful, mate. And mate, you're uh, you are a successful entrepreneur, and I'm, I know you're quite humble, but you've done a lot, you've done a lot, mate. You're, Just having a crack, mate. Yeah, having a good crack. <laughs> you're giving it a good nudge, and I, I I really value what you've done. And I guess the the final piece, and this this you've probably got thousands of pieces of advice, but there's a lot of people listening to this that are um, owners of their own business. They're having a go at something that they they are very passionate about. Um, they've all 
a lot of them do have different levels of experience. We've got lots of business leaders that listen to this. But what would be one piece of advice that may be worth sharing or maybe you'd even reflect on if you were doing it again? What, what's something you'd share as advice to that group? Uh, it's it's simply resilience. Um, you know, worse it gets worse before it gets worse kind of vibe. Um, and balancing your intuition with with um, with structure and analytics. That's that for me is a is where you can if you get that right, you um that's where you can see gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah, resilience would would depend on on how you balance those those two parts. Okay, so it's. I, I, I trust myself. I back it up with some good data and facts. Yeah. I make good decisions based on that. I know that decision's not going to be perfect. And if it isn't? And if it isn't, I've got to move through it because yeah. that's where the resilience plays yeah. on. And I go and look at the data again and I learn. That's it. That's it. Man. And I go through that bloody cycle consistently. Yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. That's a cycle, yeah. <laughs> but it's so, it's, it's so simple to explain. It's so important in practice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, it is. It's It sounds pretty simple. Yeah. Um, and it's it, it, when you're in the middle of a cycle, it's not that easy to, no. to to sort of to see clarity. But yeah, once you've had enough experience at it, it's it probably becomes second nature. Yeah, totally for you it is, mate. So uh, well, I've certainly noticed that. So, but Mark, you've been an absolute legend. I will be using uh, my Aquanotes. Good man. I will be giving Frontline a plug. Thank you, mate. But more importantly, I am um, very grateful for our time. It's um, you know it's probably not long enough, but it's uh, it's been long enough to go into some really interesting discussion. You're a good human. You do a lot of good things for the world. I think your mentoring platform will be another example of that. Um, and I hope you um, you really make a dent both from that 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 purpose play, but also in terms of the commercial success of the business, mate. So all the best. Thank you very much, mate. It's been a pleasure being here with you and talking. I'm sure we could keep talking for a long time. It's been awesome. Thanks for having me, mate.